0: Hey everybody, thanks for visiting today and dropping in to this week's episode of Music the Bed of Life. I am so excited today. I have with me, actually, I'm with him because I'm in his studio today, chatting with the one and only John Herrera. He is, uh, he's done so much uh, in my mind as far as playing the drums and the set and studio musician and And there's more stuff that I need to ask. So that's one of the reasons I'm very excited to be here. So let's get right to it. How are you doing this evening, John?
1: I'm doing great. Thanks for the invite.
0: Excellent. Well, I mean what I said in that interview. There's so much I want to ask you about because uh, you know as well as I do how long I've been watching you play. (laughs) It's been a long time. time. (laughs) Uh, and, And I'm floored every time I see you. Very kind. I want to go back, way back, because my podcast is called Music, the Bed of Life, which to me means no matter where you are, no matter where you go, music always finds your ears. Yes. Music's always around. So my question to you is, what is the very, very extreme earliest recollection you have of when music became... I won't say important yet, but noticeable to you that you realized music existed?
1: Uh, My second birthday I was asking for drums. Really? And um, my parents used to collect the Time Life collection. They would send vinyl every month (laughs) and um, I would ask them to play the vinyl and then I would try and tap with my hands what I heard. So that turned into me begging at two for drums and them finally relenting. (laughs) at three and then they bought me a, a cute little toy set from i don't know macy's or something and it was the little paper kit that had ringo star on and it said the beatles on the front and i got it christmas morning and by christmas night it was destroyed <laughs> um and so i just continued on that path and, and then after a few years they once again relented and bought me a real drum set at and, what age was that um around five or six okay and then I just couldn't stop every day I was listening to records and trying to figure out what they were playing I didn't know anything about music I just knew just trying to mimic what I heard
0: what did you hear did you did you feel the rhythm or
1: or were you hearing something um, right around five or six I started to hear colors So I see colors in the rhythm, and um, I would start to... And I put these LPs on not knowing what was what. Um, My parents got a record from a guy, and it was called Abraxas. And I put it on, and I heard all these parts, and I thought that it was all one person, a drummer. was wrong uh, because I didn't know much about the liner notes so I thought I was failing because I couldn't play what I was hearing Mm -hmm. Um, and after a year or so I finally started to play the rhythms and figured it out Um, but I couldn't understand the idea why all the rest of the music was so simple but this particular record was so hard the reason why is because it was a drummer and two percussionists and i thought it was one person because i just i'm from the sticks Mm -hmm. um there was no television or youtube or internet i just put the vinyl on and sit and listen in mystery like what is happening here abraxas was that santana santana yeah Mm -hmm. so um yeah that was uh, a game changer and of course in that same period of time because it was the Time Life series every, every month was a different LP. Mm-hmm. So I learned Kinda Blue from Miles Davis. <laughs> from Dave Brubeck. America record which was really strange when it came. month it was a different genre of music George Jones and George Strait as I got a little bit older so I had a a great appreciation for all of it just in curiosity and I realized that every different genre had a different emotional state of being Hmm. and that weighed heavily with me when I was a kid
0: Hmm. and and I guess the colors changed between that too then because I've I've heard that before once before I've heard someone translate music into colors and i don't know how that works because obviously i don't see that uh, you don't happen to have perfect pitch do you
1: not in the least i'm the worst <laughs> singer in the history of music
0: but rhythm no way are you off on that well, do you know what your internal clock is or or is it just purely
1: feeling Um, I did study composition in school, so I'm somewhat educated and I, um, I'm always a student in music. I'm always curious about the next thing Mm -hmm. and I'm still learning. Um, but I, uh, what would be the right answer for that? I, it's more of an emotional thing for me. Mm -hmm. So when I write or create patterns or play something, I'm thinking more emotionally. I don't think about the mechanics of it. Um, and what I do, if I start thinking mechanically about what it is that I'm doing, is usually when I start making mistakes. <laughs> so if you see me playing and you see me closing my eyes, that's because I shut out my uh, periphery sense of vision, and then I start to see colors, and I hear things, and then it just becomes what it is, and I'm not really present to the mechanics of what it is that I'm doing. I think Herbie Hancock is a great... Uh, reference we we had dinner with his bass player at the Nam show years and years ago and he told the story about Herbie just being on fire one night and after the gig he asked Herbie about some of the changes of a couple of the tunes and Herbie looked at him blankly and said I don't know <laughs> if you play it for me I can probably figure it out but I was just just being mm-hmm. and there's something to be said for that I, oh, I yeah. think uh, specifically in the and the live moment, which is different than making a record. Yeah. Uh, but when you're playing and, and just being, you know, I think that's the deepest part of music. It's this just the simple conveyance of emotion. That's all it is. Yeah, and I, I think that's
0: one of the reasons I, I'm i kind of setting up myself to, in the future, be able to do live, to, to record bands live. Because I think, you know, I, I, I've got every... CD you guys put out, um, and, but when you come and see you live, it's just a total different show. I can listen, and you know I have listened to pretty much every show that I can get my hands on when it's out and available to the public for us, um, and it's, it's the same yet different every time, even though you guys are basically doing the same thing. Live just has so much more uh, energy and a difference of of how you guys approach stuff, even to the point of when you do different, uh, slightly different arrangements of stuff, just to keep it fresh for yourself,
1: I assume. <laughs> yeah, I mean the the best thing about um, the Turning Point Crews, we have great symbiosis, mm. and we are able to communicate musically. Uh, it transcends our abilities individually. And becomes more of a communal thing where we... And Brian Bromberg was the perfect story of that we was working on the Thousand Stories record, which he produced. He's an mm-hmm. amazing bass player and composer mm-hmm. himself. Yeah. And he, during the recording process, he was talking to us about the idea of playing together to make the record. And the reason why is he's like, you guys are good musicians individually, but you guys become something else when you play together. Mm-hmm. And in that moment is that... You know, he used the the word symbiosis and he uh, was like, it becomes lightning in a bottle when that's happening. And um, so when we play live shows, we're all living our lives and we're all growing and we change. It's just the natural evolution of living as Mm -hmm. a human being. So every time we get together and start playing some of the same songs, they somehow mysteriously on their own, they evolve. (laughs) Yeah. Because we're changing. But that's the cool thing, is that we're able to listen to each other and still find commonality that makes a moment for people that are listening. That's yeah,
0: and th- I think that's such a perfect description of why I can come back every show and enjoy, just to be badly worded, just enjoy the snot up. Yeah. <laughs>
1: In it that way, and there's so many great musicians, you know, that have had that moment. We we never achieved the notoriety of like or the great musicianship like Chick Corea and even some of the guys like in foreplay I mean, Bob James, mm. oh my god, yeah, there's um, Nathan East Spyro. We, we used to tour with them, and they're just remarkable. Tower you used to tour with Spyro?
0: Mm-hmm. Well, there's <laughs> Put the Needle Back. What I yeah. didn't know you. Toured with Spyrogyra. Rippingtons. Now talk about the talk about Gyra, That's that's an evolvement from yeah. you know album one to now. Yeah, that went from easy listening, purely. Uh, I don't want to say popcorn because that that lessens the the skillfulness of the people playing, but you know what I mean. It was lighter. Mm-hmm. Then they progressed when they started learning more and more and more. Yeah. Now they're moving almost towards straight ahead traditional
1: jazz more than... Like Yellow Jackets. Yeah. Which is amazing, too. I mean, we did some festival dates and saw those guys, and they were just absolutely remarkable.
0: So, who was... You said five or six, you got your first real set. So, that's, in my life, that's like kindergarten, first grade. Mm -hmm. did you play from that point on with anybody did you when did you get into like playing with groups and stuff
1: so i felt like i was in a band every afternoon when i came home from school because i would put on my whatever the record of the month was you were playing (laughs) and i'm playing with the band and just um learning and curious and there were no uh videos Mm -hmm. And I grew up in a rural part of New Mexico where, you know, you just there just wasn't a lot of live performers. So I had a lot of questions and a lot of curiosity. I finally was able to get one drum lesson with a guy who was with a marching band and then played in a rock band, and I was dumbfounded by the lesson. And of course, Mm -hmm. became even more curious. And um, so as time went on, I mean, I actually started playing in clubs as a pro at twelve. No. Because I just couldn't I just couldn't get away from it. It was in my thoughts day and night.
0: You know? Well that's what happens when you're that mm, taken by an idea, a feeling, which in, in your case is probably the emotion of playing with that music. <clears throat> I'm guessing. Um you know, correct me if I'm wrong. <laughs> but I think uh we talked earlier before we started rolling about your technique versus your feel for the, for the set and how you do stuff. Did you ever get taught technique? In college.
1: So in college, um, I, I started learning how to read and was taken in by the composer in residence who was really kind to me because he saw me playing at clubs. And he realized that this was going to be my destiny. He knew. So he would call me at home. This is before cell phones. Mm -hmm. He would call me at home and give me a hard time. I haven't seen you in the piano practice room. You need to get over there and practice. And so I was really pushed along the way, as well as all the musicians that I played with who were quite a bit older than me, they were telling me what to do, what not to do, this works and why. So I'm forever grateful uh, for all those people that came through in my life and gave me hints and told me what I was doing wrong. It it was received well. Um, (laughs) And I, in turn, as I'm getting older, I'm trying to impart the same to the younger generations of musicians, which, by the way, are remarkable because they have access to YouTube and videos and all the... uh, So technically, these young kids, you know, are more developed Mm -hmm. as a byproduct of that. whether or not that has an emotional or musical you know existence that's a debatable thing but i hear those kids and i'm like yikes get off my lawn kid <laughs> they just they're terrorized <laughs> you know, they're just fabulous musicians so
0: yeah yeah I, I, one of them that springs to mind real quick do you remember zylon Rosick? of course do you have you heard his son <laughs> play oh i'm
1: sure it's ridiculous
0: oh, have you heard him playing?
1: I, well zylon is a great musician right so his so son. So take
0: is, that and transfer that into the drums. Him. He's oh playing the drums. Like, Get off
1: my lawn, kid!
0: Oh my god! Get off <laughs> my lawn! Get out of my city! Yeah, <laughs> he's he's pretty amazing. So I think they still live in the Philippines, right? Yeah, but he's in Malaysia. He's in Kuala Lumpur. Yeah. Uh, I just did a, I just did a um, interview of him. So he's right before you. We played <laughs>
1: gigs together in the nineties. Yeah, yeah.
0: yeah. yeah. I I, <laughs> I there was so much we were talking about I didn't even get to that part. Who did you did you play with as is?
1: I subbed with them. I subbed with as as is and um when I first got to town and was really making the connections I had the good fortune of subbing with Walt Richardson. Oh. And those guys were amazing too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um and then I started getting some calls for sessions. Um there are so many great drummers in town, but the only reason why I was getting the call is maybe I was just the young, pretty guy or maybe just young. <laughs> but I could show up on time, right. And I could, if somebody asked me to do something, um, I would just say yes and play what they needed, and I was able to do drums and percussion. And I could play to a click back then. So they gave ah. me a little bit of a, a leg up. And I think the reason why I got called back is because I was just nice and would show up on time
0: yeah I think that's ninety percent of it it is ninety percent of it when people can rely on you to yeah. do what you say you're gonna do. it makes a huge difference. Um, the part about the percussion and drums mm-hmm. tell me if I'm wrong, but when turning point first started,
1: you weren't on the set, were you? correct so when turning point turning point uh, those guys were already together when I got to town and they were starting the writing process and uh, Thano had just gotten back from uh, MI, from GIT. And um, within that year, I had just gotten to town and they were starting to write songs. Well, I only know them because I kept seeing them at recording sessions. Mm -hmm. And after a while, I believe it was Thanos was like, hey man, do you want to get together and work on some tunes? We... um, we already have a drummer, but we see that you play percussion. Would you be interested in, and I was like, sure. I really liked him and they were really cool. We had, again, that brothership. We mm-hmm. were just friendly right off the same family values and what have you. Mm-hmm. So we did, we started getting together and uh, Bruce Stadola was a guy that had grown up with him in high school and he's a great drummer and he was the drummer. And he was great. Um, so I, I played percussion, you know, and, The first record, the first couple of records were percussion uh, that I just, you know, I play percussion. But then uh, Bruce, again, back in, we were all young guys and it was time for Bruce to move on. He moved on to some other projects. And so we were talking and the discussion was, well, are we going to, maybe I should play drums and we'll get a percussionist. And uh, once again, Thano and his bravado and swagger said what are you talking about you idiot you you play both you figure out how to do it you we're not getting somebody else you're going to have to figure out how to play both parts uh, so that's what happened that's what and boy did that happen i, I uh, thankfully again sitting in front of you know my parents stereo system scratching my head listening to the abraxas record like there's no way <laughs> is really the catalyst for that moment mm-hmm. um And so, without really thinking mechanically of what was happening, I just started listening to the records and figuring out which parts were the important parts, and then I integrated that into new patterns that then became the signature of turning point for our rhythm drums. That's what happened.
0: Yeah, because I know, and I don't know when he disappeared, Bruce, I just... It was such a fog, because I was like, one moment, I knew they had a percussionist and a drummer, and the next minute, I hear all this percussion, but you're the only one there. (laughs) I was like, wait, wait, am I going crazy? Did they not have a percussionist before? So I don't know how you made that transition, but it was smooth and quick.
1: Yeah, I mean, I obviously had to to figure it out, Um, but again the support with the other guys we just it just worked and uh, most of the turning point stuff are really based on patterns Mm -hmm. and I would just learn what the pattern should be and what notes or sonorities or colors of the drums and percussion should be the dominant parts and then I just practice them until they kind of like breathing and walking you just know how to play them Um, unfortunately uh, it becomes very difficult for me if it's just a basic drum set and no percussion added to it, mm. because the patterns and the sonorities change and it tricks me and I'll make mistakes because I'm so used to hearing like the cowbell or the wood block or the congas or whatever the percussion part is, is so ingrained in me now that if I don't play the pattern to with the exact sonority, mm-hmm. I get confused. Let's 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 cue up that song that we're kind of hinting here. Sure, this one's called Inside Out and this one was one that had a lot of drums and percussion and this is us playing live and me playing both parts
2: This one's called Inside Out
0: pattern that uh, I cannot not watch you when you're playing this, because I am so impressed with how you can keep that going so cleanly and so in tempo. Do you play that with a click track, by the way?
1: That was not, no. Just playing.
0: When you're playing live, you don't use There's a so click, click track? No.
1: Yeah. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> But again, it's the if if I break it all apart, the rhythms are reasonably simple. What makes it confusing is all the different sonorities that you hear. Hmm. So I, at one point, I was an Aquarian endorser for the drumhead company Aquarian, and I would do clinics, and that's one of the one you know things that I would show and explain really how simple that pattern was. I would break it down and then express the reason why it sounds complicated is because I'm playing a bunch of different sonorities, the cowbell um you know uh, there's what's that the block 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 triangle all the the little nuances so it really sounds it starts to sound like two people yeah but if you break if you break the rhythms down they're actually reasonably simple um (laughs) you just have to be able to make it flow quickly you know so Mm -hmm. and trust me if i get off that pattern it is train wreck <laughs> <laughs> and it has happened
0: well fortunately i have not heard it happen <laughs> I, I have not heard that happen so uh i, I don't want to hear it happen either i don't think <laughs> but yeah it's it's pretty amazing how um you do keep that going in such a good tempo because you can have uh and not necessarily just that song but you talked about you guys having a symbiotic yeah. relation or a good symbiosis and just being one really the patterns you guys pull out of nowhere especially thano because he likes to go on off beats and and then you follow and and all of a sudden you're not on one and three anymore you're on two and four with the then the bass drum is on something else and but you guys always find your way right back to where you belong and without missing a beat it's not clunky it's not you know forced.
1: Yeah, I mean we, we're all students of music, and the whole band we all think that way. And when we get together, and of course we're influenced by the greats, uh, Chick Corea and uh, the Electric Band. At the time that we were coming up, was definitely happening. And then the Acoustic Band, and before that was Mahavishnu, and again Spiral, Yellow Jackets, Tower of Power. Hmm the tower power is amazingly good at creating interesting compositions with all these subdivisions Mm -hmm. between the horns the bass part i mean it's sophisticated stuff yeah and the fact that it flows so musically is what is so beautiful yeah that's that's my time frame tower power (laughs) (laughs) that's
0: that's my age you're talking about you young kid how do you know about tower power right and look who we have in town (laughs) right he's right here uh it's ma that's another thing what do you think about the quality of musicianship in phoenix you know everybody goes everywhere else to listen to music and i think the quality of music here is is greatly overlooked
1: so one of the things that is a disadvantage for the city of Phoenix. And I'll say the metropolitan city of Phoenix is that everything is suburban and spread apart. And there isn't really uh, an area where all the musicians hang. Um, And because of that, it doesn't seem like there's a real music scene here. But the truth is, is the music scene is very rich and very vibrant. In fact, there are a lot of musicians or a lot of musicians that are moving from music hubs to Phoenix because there is opportunity. And not to mention the fact that these days, a lot of the recording is done over the internet and travel. Phoenix is a hub for travel like Los Angeles.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: And the cost of living, although it's more expensive now, <laughs> at the time was a little less. So we have in Phoenix, multi-Grammy winners, mm. uh, big players. And Mike Browning, Mel Brown, Andre Frappi, all these amazing musicians, they all live here. And they all do sessions. Now, they may not be necessarily hanging out on the club scene. Mm-hmm. But this is because the club scene is so spread apart. You know, It's not like going to Nashville and going to Music Row.
3: Mm.
1: It's very different.
3: Yeah.
1: Um, so I think, and there are so many. I mean, George Benson lives here. I know. Stevie Nicks. Just saw him. Alice Cooper. Alice all, Cooper, yeah. And all these session musicians. And then the younger rock guys, a bunch of those guys. The Megadeth band was I worked on some projects with Marty Friedman, the guitarist from Megadeth, who is unbelievable. <laughs> he is amazing. And they were all here. People don't know that. Rob Halford is another metal guy. So yeah. there's jazz guys, uh, rock guys, there's country guys. Uh, Sean Paddock and Ray Herndon.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, Gary Brzezzi, another amazing drummer. He, he was Glenn Campbell's drummer for 20 plus years.
0: Yeah, and I hear uh, uh, Mario played with Glenn Campbell too. Oh my God! Yeah, the
1: Sister Sledge thing, all those cats yeah. that were from here: Ira King, I D-Base, know, yeah, just, Dominic Amato, who yeah. was playing with Tony Yeah, I mean there is not a lack of of That's musicality in. <laughs> yeah, so I've been privileged just to know those people over the decades, and you know, be inspired by them because they're just great musicians. And then. Everybody is super... Ken Mary, I'm thinking Ken He's amazing, too. I don't really know him that well, mm-hmm. but I've seen him do it. I'm like, yikes, you're <laughs> really great. Yeah. Um,
0: Steve. Steve, Steve, Steve. Steve Colt? Yeah. That boy's... He's pretty amazing, too.
1: Oh, my God. Yeah, he's from Yuma. Got his... I think his undergraduate at Berkeley and then got his master's from University of Miami. And when he was over there, he was playing with all the... Um, puerto rican musicians doing oh so yeah interesting he plays montuno and son like nobody else is a guy from yuma you would never think that <laughs> until he starts playing <laughs> you're like good lord yeah and that and so his technical facility was a great fit for us because he's yeah. very technically developed and so when he showed up he brought yet another you know stylized dimension that you know, really helped us in writing. And then the performance thing, cause he's so technically developed. So how do you fit into the writing part of that? Did
0: you have anything to do with some of those songs or, or if not, what about your no. own projects?
1: We, so what would typically happen towards the, you know, last few records, we would, somebody would come up with an idea, whether it was, uh, Fano or Dimitri or Steve or myself. And then we would just, start developing it. So it could be a simple motif. It could be some chord changes. It could be whatever. And we would just get together and play. And then it would just kind of evolve into something that was ready to be recorded. Mm. And, and that was pretty much it. So everybody had a good contribution. Um, and, you know, I say a good contribution because sometimes somebody who had the vision for it would be the dominant person and then everybody else would just fill in the gaps. And that would change over time. You know, mm-hmm. It was never just the same thing over and over, which is cool because that means everybody was making some form of contribution. And that's what really helped to shape the sound of where we ended up going.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, so. I hear
0: a lot of Greek uh, influence in Absolutely. the music. And, um, and I was going to ask you about Actually, that pattern on inside out that you that you were playing, I was going to ask you, did you come up with that?-hmm So that was your contribution to that song
1: as far as so, what you heard.: So the song was already written and recorded, and all I did was um, listen to when Bruce departed, I had to figure out how to make it flow but try and keep the continuity of all the different percussion, the relationship of the drum and percussion parts. Oh, okay. So that's what I meant when I was like, Thano was like, you figure it out. <laughs> and so I had to go back for the, to the first couple of records where they were discrete parts mm-hmm. and figure out how to embody both drums and percussion, which led me back to sitting in front of the stereo listening to a Abraxas where I really thought it was one person. It wasn't. Yeah it yeah. three people but
0: you were trying to play it as i it was trying on,
1: and that probably didn't hurt you at all it really helped me um i'm also a little bit ambidextrous so that i have a little bit more or then when i was a young guy a little more um ability to play you know multiple patterns with different limbs yeah which playing drums you kind of need to have huh? yes you do
0: yeah. <laughs> not kind so, of john
1: <laughs> uh, well i mean that <laughs> was do it was the you know uh I was fortunate to have that and again i attribute a lot of that to just my curiosity and hearing records that i, I did, just didn't realize that they were drums and percussion thought it was mm. one person <laughs> and then so i thought i sucked because i couldn't play the parts that i was hearing right so i'm like i'm just i can't do this i'm gonna have to sell insurance or something i don't know <laughs> yeah
0: <laughs> then he figured it out um, uh, uh why don't we put you on the set and, and just listen to you live for a second. It's, uh, sure. I don't know what you would play, but I just want people to hear your technique by yourself while you're live. Okay. Maybe the, the stuff you do. Because when I'm, when I'm sitting there listening, uh, there'll be stuff come out of you where I'm sure people hear it and stuff. But I'm like, you know, the cartoon character eyeballs popping out. I was like, did he just do that? and and you're just (laughs) as if as if you're eating toast and having eggs and bacon for breakfast
1: yeah i i have a shaker i'll play um the other thing is i'm a big student of learning different um, ethnicities in music
3: Hmm.
1: so when i first got to town i got to see some guys that were really playing ethnic music in a way that i just really didn't get um and it was really helpful for me to see that happening again great drummers in town dan tomlinson todd shuba yeah dom moyo dom Dom moyo (laughs) doesn't know it but i learned so much about latin percussion by just watching him play yeah and then how he integrated that into the drum kit you know how he would figure out how to play a brazilian batucada which is usually 10 or 15 people he would figure out how to (laughs) you know voice it in a way on the drum kit that just sounded musical mm. makes sense to these great players when i first got to town i would go out and see these great musicians and not introduce myself i was just knocked out by what i was seeing back then it was um a venue uh, called chewy's chewy's yeah uh, upstairs mm-hmm. yeah in downtown Tempe. that was two-story actually that's right yep and uh i would go in there and just be blown away by what i was seeing. um the first week that i got to town was the Mill Avenue Merchants Fair, but I I didn't know what that was. And um, Diana Lee with Greg Warner and all these amazing. Greg Greg was playing with Walt. I walked into Hayden Square mm. and there was probably three to four thousand people screaming and yelling, and it was Walt Richardson on stage. And I thought i had hit the promised land, <laughs> um, seeing as is you know the reggae yeah. thing. I wasn't yeah. really exposed to that all that much. And then the following night, I went up to Chewie's and saw Todd playing drums with Alice Tatum, and just about fell over. Wow. Just amazing. And um, back then, there was a guy named Joey Navarro who played keys. I remember Joey. I I mean, all these amazing musicians. Joey lives in L.A. and plays with big players. He's a great writer. Mm -hmm. Um, That's what I'm saying. Him and Dan Pinson, all these guys that were really influential to me. Of course, when you're young, you don't really say those things but now as i'm the old guy i'm happy to, to
3: <laughs> tell people i call
1: people and tell them how much of an influence they had on me and a lot of them are surprised yeah um and even the recording engineers um andy and uh, otto and clark rigsby clark rigsby got me straight pretty quick when i first got to town and so it was andy okay yeah andy siegel and i um You know, I would take John Roble, Jeff, um, Otto, Jeff Harris, Otto. uh, They were all really influential to me, telling me, hey, this is good, this is not. Clark is probably the one that got me the most straight because he is very assertive and he made some very assertive comments to me that at first I was a little offended by, but then I realized that he was completely right and I was an idiot. So
0: this this was comments towards your playing or your your recording
1: uh as a recording musician as a player okay yeah so when i first got to town again i started getting some sessions not because i was good because there were so many great drummers here in town but because i could show up on time and just be nice to people and i think that um but what you know i definitely got a lot of lessons and a lot of help Mm -hmm. i think that that's all part of the journey And if you're receptive to that and just keep your mind and your heart open to that, you'll always learn something. And to this day, I see players play and I'm always learning. I hear things that are inspiring to me. Oh, yeah. So, yeah. I mean, that's just the nature. I think uh, if you're a student of music, you are caught for the rest of your life. So when I was young, everybody talks about what they want to do in their life. Mm-hmm. and what they want to be and for me that was never a question it was simply that was my calling and i just had to figure out a way to monetize and you know yeah have a career at it which is hard you know but <laughs> it, it worked out
0: and the, what, what i tell you on the phone it's like when you're busy too busy um, as a working musician that's a great thing to hear i'm like i i understand and i'm glad for you I'm glad for you. You can you can do my podcast anytime. Uh, <laughs> Jeez, I, just work comes first.
1: <laughs> yeah, I think that um, you know, for a young aspiring musician that are you know they're trying to find their way, uh, being educated is a is a good thing. And I mean, uh, and I don't necessarily mean education in music. All that that helps you mm-hmm. to understand what you're doing. But I think that if you understand fundamental principles and entrepreneurialism and how to be a small business model and how to, you know, different have different re- uh, revenues of income and knowing that you can't just put your eggs in one basket. It's mm-hmm. got to be a bunch of different things, whether you're teaching or performing or writing or in you know, your studio musician or you work in post. Like I, these days I get a lot of arranging mm-hmm. and um, I produce a lot and I get it. I do a lot of recorded tracks and send them out um but most of the most of the time it's just because I'm I show up on time and and nice to people that I think that's a big lesson to be learned you can't be um uh, you can't be difficult you have to figure it out and when i was younger like anybody else you have a little bit of a chip and you can be difficult yeah and then i've had to learn over the years that that doesn't really serve me nor does it serve the music or anybody else no and 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 that is one of the things that i noticed
0: about the entire Turning Point Group, not just yourself, but you included. You were all not just nice to the people you're working for, but you were nice to the genuinely nice to the fans. Yeah. You know, a lot of a lot of bands will come out and they'll talk and and you're you're chatting, and you can tell it's kind of going in one ear and out the other. But you guys genuinely, and if you're not, you do a really good job of it. <laughs> <laughs> You, you genuinely listen, and I know you're listening because when I come by the next time, and you know my name.
1: Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I think that um, early on, we recognized quickly that without people coming to listen and buy the CDs, and, um, that we really had nothing. And I, I think sometimes that gets overlooked. Mm-hmm. So one of the things that we would do. Is we would make ourselves available before a performance, and then after the performance, if somebody wanted to talk to us, then absolutely.
3: Yeah. And
1: as the records started to come out, um, you know, we all have an opinion about our compositions of what we think, and we would, you know, jokingly say, "Well, this composition is not so great," you know, just make fun of it. But then somebody would come up and say, "We played that song at our child's birthing." and it changed our life. Mm. There's the moment where art and music transcend what you think personally, even as the creators. Right. And um, I read an article about Seal who said that once he creates a composition and releases it, it's no longer his. It's whoever listens to it and their perception based on their journey in life. So wow, yeah, it's it, the profundity of that is remarkable. Yes. and I am very much a proponent of that. Where, and I don't think that you have to be amazingly gifted as a music to be expressive as a creator. And so I, I have come to learn over the decades that even the simplest music has a beauty in it. That if it touches somebody, then that is the point. the simplest denominator of music is the conveyance of emotion. Yeah. So yeah. I appreciate that because my stuff's pretty simple. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, I mean, uh, you could say well it's a little simpler mechanically, but it is deeply impactful. Cool. Um, so I think that, like in my journey, I've uh, there was a song from Bonnie Raitt in the '80s, a song called "I Can't Make You Love Me." Mm-hmm. I was floored.
2: Hold me close.
1: Yesterday from the Beatles, floor. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Angie from the Stones. I tell people openly, like those guys, are not super, super amazing musicians. They're not technically developed like Chick Corea or these other guys that are just amazing technically. Right. But they do have the thing that is the lightning in a bottle, which is conveyance of emotion. Mm-hmm. You can't take that from them, and they have proven over the decades that they're the real deal. Yeah, And when they speak, people listen. And I think that um, as artists, if we were to think about that and consider that more, we would all be better. Right. Yeah, I, I actually know what you mean by that, because
0: um, oh, I don't want to go down the rabbit hole of all the sampling and, and regurgitation of music that was done way back when, instead of it being creatively done in an original format because even though they're sampling other stuff, the way they're putting it together is original. So, you know, it it works. But I don't want to go down that rabbit hole. But I just think that the music that was done back in the early 60s, 70s had more emotion to it that that came from the heart, not from the commercial aspect of I need to make a record.
1: Yeah, I think that um, there's, uh, of course, credit to that. And there was a great evolution in music. But I th- also think that there was a great evolution when hip co- hop showed up. Mm. Um, and guys that were beat makers, because they didn't think like musicians. They were doing things that were different, but they were still artful and expressive. Oh, yeah. That's
0: what I'm saying. So,
1: yeah. yeah I and, think. and and
0: I'll tell you something. I hate to admit it, but when hip-hop first came out, I thought, oh, well, there's a fad. That's going to go away soon. Yeah. Yeah. Because it, it's not just music. Hip-hop is not just music. It's a whole... Um, it's as i learned finally it's the whole music the breakdancing the the um, graffiti all of that is hip hop it's a it was a way of life not music
1: yeah it it sure was and i am a big and i was and am a big fan of it i mean uh, questlove has a particular way that he plays and i know that he was cool with dilla And if if you guys don't know who Dilla is, you should check it out because he revolutionized particular pockets and grooves um, that really changed the state of the way that happened, Mm -hmm. of the way that... And then that migrated over to a little bit into Neo Soul. The first time that I heard um, voodoo from Mm D'Angelo, I was floored. Mm -hmm. I mean, I, I listened to that record for almost three months straight. All that being said, because I'm the old guy, when uh, Night, Night Sprites and Scary Monsters came out, I, once again I was floored um, that this little emo kid could create all of this on his laptop. <laughs> and the sound design and just the just the emotional aesthetic of it was remarkable enough at the time that I was an adjunct at MCC and Pro Tools and, and the Mix class that I actually gave uh, two-part mixing lesson about how he came to do that Mm
3: -hmm. and how
1: unbelievably emotional and his choices right Mm -hmm. now granted they're all samples and sound effects but the way he put them together is really emotionally inspiring and i think that that is the art of you know again art and the art of it is if you're able to convey an emotion that affects somebody else that's it yeah, it doesn't have to be complicated. Yeah. I feel that way about country music too.
0: Oh, that is a absolutely perfect transition cuz I figured out what I want you to play. Um when y- when you guys you guys meaning Turning Point get into one of your live uh s- grooves on a roll and I don't know if it's intentional, I think it is cuz you, you you it just Works so well. You go into all kinds of stuff. You go into Latin, you go into country, you go into rock, you go into jazz, and you all do it as if you are all that musician at the time of whichever genre you're playing. Um, I want you to, if you can do this, do a little.
1: Playing some different genres?
0: Yeah. Sure, I can and, do that. And you don't have to stop, just go through it. Okay. see if we can tell which one you're on because i've heard you guys do that and it's like that's pretty amazing all right
1: let's see see what happens (laughs) always fooling around
0: yes. always joking <laughs> that's exactly what i was talking about <clears throat> ah let's see if i pick that back up there like that yes that's exactly what i was talking about you can you can go from one to the other kind of seamlessly
1: yeah i mean they're all i you know i th- i just think that um having the good fortune of living here and being exposed to all these different types of music um, is inspiring. And I never really think of one better than the other. I just think of it all as a expressiveness. You mm-hmm.
0: know? Yeah. Yeah. And there's stuff that I may not like, but when it's well produced, you can definitely respect it. Yeah. And there's, there's some rock and roll that I just, I wouldn't be my first song to buy, but it's so well produced, I find myself listening to it.
1: Absolutely. I mean, there are things that are, well, there's a big group that's touring right now is uh, the Metallica show with Pantera. Mm-hmm. I mean, they they influenced a large swath of young rock and metal musicians. They just did. Um. I had the good fortune of meeting some of the Pantera guys in Vegas when we were playing at the Mandalay Bay, and um, they're just regular people like like mm. everybody else. They just happen to be good at what they do in that genre. So I'm always appreciative. Um, and and a, again, a student, I never really have a an opinion about what's good and what's not good if it's just well done, right? You can and you can tell it's a feeling. It's a conveyance of emotion. You can tell, yeah. definitely tell Uh, i see a piano sitting up in here do you
0: play what else do you play besides drums
1: i uh play a few instruments but not well enough to be i use them as writing tools yeah so um like when the during on the matador record the, the piano riff um i wrote that as the opening part and like i said we would get together and there would be a melody and you know things would just kind of develop from the opening piano riff but then steve got it and took it to another level of technical <laughs> facility that i can't do yeah, but sure. I, I had come up with a basic part and you know so i use that um as guitar acoustic guitar i have an acoustic guitar and a, i play keys and i use it as a way to to write uh, and then i i produce records so i'm somewhat competent on pro tools and can mix and record and do a lot of things. So I will utilize those tools. And of course, these days, technology has evolved so quickly oh, yeah. that you can, I mean, we're sitting here essentially in a bedroom in a home and I can write and create something that, you know, you would never know was done in a bedroom. It sounds yeah. like a fully, with strings and horns and all these different instruments that are, are simply available. Um, I'm yeah. Really,
0: I'm really glad to hear that.
1: Times times have changed. <laughs> I'm really yeah. glad to hear that. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah.
0: So, as a producer, are you working with other? You're working with other clients. Are they bringing the music to you? Are you writing it for them?
1: Um, a little bit of both. Um, I do a, a fair amount of arranging and helping other. Uh, and when I say arranging, what? <laughs> I tell everybody that I, my, my arranging is getting the right musicians in the room mm. and then just speaking to them. Because if, uh, for example, Mel Brown is uh, <laughs> a Grammy-winning bass player. Yeah. He's unbelievable. He's on my tune. <laughs> he's, he's unbelievable. Yeah, I know. Um, I, I... He'll show up, and we'll have coffee and just talk about the shape and direction of the composition and that's kind of it.
3: Yeah.
1: And he gives me a few passes and he gives me a few different looks emotionally about what it could be.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: And that's it. And it is startling. Uh, Mike Browning the same way. Mark, Mike Browning is a multi-Grammy winner who was initially in Turning Point and then found better favor when he moved on with Connie Cole and he started writing and doing his own stuff. And mm-hmm. he's literally like a celebrity here in town because, and I don't think people realize how great he is but he's got a string of compositions that is, you know, <laughs> he's unrivaled. And his production and everything that he does are hands down the best in the valley. He's just really that good. Mm-hmm. And, and he's such a sweet guy. Mm. And you would never know how soulful he is until you start, until he starts playing. And you're like, holy cats. I mean, mm. the guy is, they're brilliant. Thano, all those guys, um, all these, I think of Ray Herndon in that way. Ray's a country player. Mm -hmm. but he is the truth uh, just like Mike and Thano and Steve and, and Dimitri, all the guys that have been doing it for a long time. So I think that we get together and uh, these days it's easier just instead of writing a chart or trying to, you know, traverse, just talk to somebody that competent about what you're thinking. And then they give you more than you thought that you needed. And sometimes things that you didn't think that you needed and you realize oh this is it
0: yeah and i and i i actually witnessed that on on my tune like i said mel played on my last tune and so did brian Chartran. uh that was pretty much it i asked i talked to the and ira king and i I just talked to them and and i did have a chart yeah but uh I, i didn't give I don't think I gave Mel, I actually, I didn't, I didn't give Mel or Brian any, any real direction other than I want you to fill in as a guitar player would fill in. And that's, that's where I know to shut up, because it's like, I don't play bass. I can't tell Mel Brown what to play. I wouldn't tell Mel Brown what to play. Mel wouldn't let me tell him what to play, because he knows, he knows what he's doing. Oh yeah, and, and there's nothing wrong with that and that's exactly why I asked him and Brian to do it I know they've been out there doing it I've heard their stuff so I, I was just confident I would get what I was hearing in my own head and I did,
1: and more, like you said uh, and Ira's the same way Whew, same way so there's such great musicians and such nice people I mean, we spend-
0: unbelievably nice
1: Yeah. I mean, I have clients that will hire these guys. And I know that sometimes if it's a new client, they're a little caught off guard at the idea that we just hang out and have coffee for 30, 45 minutes talking about whatever. Mm -hmm. And the client's like, hey, man, the clock is rolling. (laughs) And I'm like, don't worry. And we come in here and 20 minutes later, it's over and the client's in complete disbelief at what they just (laughs) heard, right? So this isn't the part of my production. The best part of me is that I, I know enough people to put the right people together in a room and just let it happen. And then I always get more than I ever dreamt that I would need. And and then it's done so in uh, an emotionally deep way. Um, And I think that that is the art of it. And that leads me back to the sixties and seventies where musicians were simply playing from each other and talking to each other with their instruments, Mm -hmm. the conversation of music. And, um, when that's coupled with meaningful lyrics and a, and a good melody, it really is something. But I, I th- also think that those compositions are happening that way today. Yeah. It just looks different. That's all. Yeah. Uh, but I mean, I hear music and I'm just floored by how beautiful it is. So oh, see yeah. colors. Yeah. <laughs>
0: yeah. <laughs> I, I, I'm right with you and you're part of that group, by the way. So <laughs> and I know student, if, if you're, you are a We're all students.
1: Yeah.
0: You're not, if you're not learning, you're
1: dying. Yeah. I that's think that's the that. way I
0: look at it. If you're not learning, you're dying. Mm-hmm. So, um, but you have gotten to a point in your life where you have learned a lot <laughs> and know what to do with it. <laughs>
1: Once in a while, it's good to be the old guy.
0: <laughs> I, I, I like your, your logo, because it's got that octopus logo. like, yeah. And that's exactly what these songs sound like. like. You've got eight arms, and I don't know what you're doing, but everything is going. And it's in tempo, and it's in rhythm. Um, and I watch you live. That's what's incredible to me. You guys, when I say you guys, I mean musicians who, who can speak to themselves, speak with themselves musically and have a conversation when it's live it it's just still perfect you know relatively perfect there's always something that goes wrong that somebody probably didn't hear nobody cared about but basically you can pick that tra- those tracks up and stick them on an album and call it done
1: yeah um If everybody's playing from their heart and doing, I think that folks who don't know the mechanics of music, who just love music, they receive that, and it's impactful. And um, Miles Davis would say, if you play the wrong note, just play it again and again, (laughs) and then it seems right. Which is super deep, right? (laughs) Which... That's so deep, it's right? It's so true. It's true. And then the joke, that, you know, the Zappa <laughs> joke is like, yeah, everything's just a half step away. So, <laughs> <It's> <laughs> you <such> know. <laughs> exactly. Um,
0: exactly. Yeah. And, 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 that, and that's, that's just it, though. You, you, the people that are playing that can converse like that know that. So it's true. You, you know, you, you know you hit the wrong. You know you're outside yeah but that's okay if you come back
1: <laughs> hey, it's, it's, I tell everybody the best part about being a developed musician is if you learn the art of recovery yeah <laughs> When you you make a clam i.e. clams <laughs> if you make a clam but you're able to figure out how to get back all the rest of the musicians like whoa that was yeah. super heavy man how did you do right they don't they may <laughs> that's the Miles thing I'll just play that note a couple of times do the it seems <laughs> right
0: Mm-hmm. My brother loved Miles Davis, just loved him. My father was a jazz buff. That's, I guess, where I get mine from. But funny enough, back when I was at home, not so much. I liked it. Mm-hmm. But when I left it, uh, I was classically trained on flute. Um, but I wasn't playing in jazz myself at all. In fact, I wish I had because would have picked up more
1: than I know now but hey you do what you do you do what you do and your journey leads you in a particular way but the journey's not over no it's not in fact it's it's amazingly just getting started
0: hence the request to you Mm I'm 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 fired
1: up to do some stuff (laughs) yeah man well you got all these heavy cats playing I don't know (laughs) got Ira and Melvin and oh boy yeah Lamar come on Lamar, Lamar. Like yeah, i like to have
0: Lamar man. playing man. <laughs> do I wish come on his
1: brother is amazing too I mean here's uh, no, here well, it is there's so many great great musicians in town yeah and I don't think that they're recognized as much um, as in bigger music hubs but they're here they're here they're here and records are being done and tours are happening mm-hmm. um, I mean I had André Frappier over here a couple of weeks ago, the guy's just ridiculous. He's, oh, and
0: see, I don't know Andre Frappier.
1: Oh, I don't he's don't one of David Foster's first call guys. He know. was touring with Ariana Grande. He's out with Patti LaBelle right now, and he's part of the Motown team because he's from Detroit. I'm from Detroit.
0: He is spooky. How do I not know this
1: guy? He is amazing, and he lives not 10 minutes from here. <laughs> That's what
0: I'm saying. Well, yeah, Phoenix, I Phoenix mean, proper, Chandler, wherever you're at,
1: don't forget. Scottsdale. Buddy Strong, and Buddy Strong is frightening. I mean, I met him when he was working with Usher, became mm. the MD, and from there his career. I I had lost touch with him, uh, and I was looking through some live David Dave Matthews videos, and guess who was playing keys? <laughs> the Buddy Strong, <laughs> and guess who was singing? uh buddy strong and (gasps) sounding better Ah. than dave and dave's letting him do it i mean buddy strong is in dave matthew's band and he is unbelievable nice he it is again that whole period of music there's so many singers here that are amazing yeah i mean uh diana lee i use diana lee a lot jody light jody light is mario Mendeville's wife okay i mean it is crazy connie cole connie yeah well she's not here Uh, now but I mean, yeah. that period of time in music was real, and it was really happening. So yeah. I am just really fortunate and grateful to have been, you know, just in the scene getting to know these people, and they're all really nice people.
0: I mm. know. I know. I wouldn't know you if if you guys hadn't been. I mean, I'm not sitting here because I got gotten a phone book and dialed out, let me see, who can I interview? I, the relationship has been built for quite some time. Yeah. Um, so yeah. that's, that's what makes it nice to be here because you, not only are you nice people, but you're approachable and available. You know, I. It'd probably be nice if you weren't because that means you're doing more work, but.
1: <laughs> well, I'm, I'm thankfully, I'm me. busy seven days a week. Well, well there so, you go. Yeah, it's good. And uh, I'm just, you're just talking about all these musicians are reminding me of all the people that I miss and haven't seen as well, you mm. know, um, and there's so many great ones. Um, so, you know, if I didn't call everybody's name, it's not that I wasn't acknowledging, of course, it's just that there are so many amazing musicians here in Phoenix, Arizona and a bunch of young musicians who are amazing as well. Understandable. And, um, it's, it's a little spooky for me to go out as the older guy and see all these young cats play because, they do things, and I'm like, how did you do that? <laughs> so, um, Hence the learning. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think I might be back to the point where I'm showing up to the club to see all these young musicians play, and I never introduce myself. I just want to check it so out God. so I can learn something.
0: <laughs> Quietly slip in the back.
1: Like, I see you. I see you, bro. That's I see good. what you're doing. And I go home try and figure it out. <laughs> oh, man, that's complicated. <laughs> Is that three percussionists? Oh, What's my God. On? I know, right? Get off my lawn, kid. Yeah.
0: Oh, well, John, I sure appreciate the time. Um, I'm sure we could go on for a bit here, but uh, I guess I should probably try and wrap it up to appreciate your time and respect your time.
1: Yeah, folks are probably overhearing this anyway. They're like, yeah, 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 we get it.
0: Yeah, we get it. We know.
1: <laughs> okay, man, we there's know, a lot of players guy. in town.
3: That's it.
0: <laughs>
1: That's exactly it. Well, thanks for having me. I really appreciate sure, it. I do appreciate
0: you. Appreciate you very much. So thanks for listening and coming back to this week's episode of Music the Bed of Life. We look forward to hearing you or seeing you or letting you interact with us on the next episode. But look forward to this one. Thanks for listening. I'm Tony Simmel. Catch you next time. Thanks for listening to this week's episode. For more information about this show and past episodes, go to www.musicthebedoflife.com. Please like, share, and subscribe to stay
3: informed of new episodes. Join your host, Anthony V. Simuel, on the next quest to discover how music plays such an important part of our lives and the many individuals responsible for
0: making it happen. Music is the bad, music is the bad, music is the bad.